All right, guys, we're going to talk about the coming of the Lord today, okay? Uh, the coming of the Lord, and we're going to look at Isaiah 61 through Isaiah 63. Now, the very first section we're going to look at here is Isaiah 61 verses 1 to 11. Now, before we look exactly at what it's saying here, I want to remind you, if you go to the Gospels, do you remember when Jesus was in his hometown? He was in Capernaum, I believe. And he was in the synagogue, and as was the tradition, is that he, being a male, would be asked, on rotation, would be asked to get up and read a portion from the Scripture. And if they would do it chronologically going through a scroll. And it happened to be that the scroll that they were going through was Isaiah. And the portion that Jesus reads is Isaiah 61, 1 to 11. He reads that portion. Well, let me read it to you, okay? The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to pray, proclaim liberty to the captives, and to open the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them the beauty of ashes and the, and the oil of joy for mourning, the garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness and the planting of the Lord that he, may, that he may be glorified. So let me just stop there. This is the portion he read. And if you remember what the gospel says, at the end, he tells them that this portion is fulfilled in their time. And they got up in arms. Because this portion is about the Messiah. And when he said that it is fulfilled in their presence, he was saying, I'm it. And remember what they tried to do to him. They tried to what? Kill him, remember? Tried to throw him over a cliff. He then uh, walked through their midst and they weren't able to do it. So this is the portion. This is the portion that Jesus is talking about because this is about the Messiah. So what we're going to see, first of all, is the Messiah's commission, Okay. So in verse 1, all three persons of the Trinity are mentioned. Okay? All three persons of the Trinity. Verse 1 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. So the Spirit is mentioned, the Lord is mentioned, and then the Messiah is mentioned, the Son. Okay? The Messiah is anointed by God with the Spirit. Now, now when do we know that that took place? Anybody remember when Jesus was anointed with the Spirit? Yeah, when he was baptized. That's exactly right, Tim. When he was baptized, came up out of the water, what lit on him like a dove? The Holy Spirit. And then, of course, there was the voice in heaven said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Okay? Now, the Messiah is to preach to the poor, heal, and set the captives free. So this is what he's to do. He's to preach to the poor, he's to bring healing, and he's to set the captives free. The Messiah will proclaim a day of vengeance. A day of vengeance. 
Now that seems kind of odd, doesn't it? On one hand, the Messiah is supposed to come and what? To preach to the poor, heal, and what? Set the captives free. But then it's going to proclaim this day of vengeance. What do you think that has to do with? We don't normally think in, in terms of God bringing Jesus to bring vengeance, but what do you think that has to do with? Yeah, the judgment of the wicked. That's exactly right, Randy. Jesus' coming is salvation to those who believe, but to those who don't believe, it means what? Judgment, right? Because of their rejection. Okay? Now, the Messiah will replace sadness with joy. So he'll replace the sadness with joy. The prophet proclaims that ruins and desolation, the ruins and desolation will be rebuilt. So again, it's again, he's proclaiming that Israel in its downtrodden state is going to be lifted back up. All right? Lifted back up. The Gentiles will serve them. Now, who's the Gentiles, folks? Yeah, us. The peoples of the world who are non-Jews. Now, why would this be important for... Because remember, this is written. Jewish readers are reading this. Why would this be important for them to hear that? That the Messiah is going to come and then the Gentiles are going to serve them. We almost don't like that concept, but why would that be important? I should use stronger coffee. <laughs> Why do you think that that's important? Okay, so they're the chosen people. He'll answer his promises. Okay, so think about being oppressed. If you're an oppressed people, all right, and would you consider the Jews, even in this state, as oppressed people to the nations, which are the Gentiles? Yeah. And, 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 and they're constantly, where they are, they're constantly, and it's even true to this day, there's constantly, a, and for some reason, that piece of real estate is very important. And there's always a shifting there that's going on of trying to control it. It's been happening for centuries. And, and, the, and the Jews basically have been where? At the bottom end of the rung. They kind of have to basically cowtail to whatever benefactor they have. But now the Messiah is going to come. He's going to say, look, there's not going to be any more of this servitude of you to others. They're going to serve you. You're going to see the fulfillment of those promises. You're going to, to see what really needs to see that should be happening here. So, okay, so let's go forth here. The wealth of the Gentiles will come to Israel. Well, why would that be? How is that possible? Israel going to go and take it? No, they don't have to take it. Why will the wealth of the Gentiles come to them? <clears throat> okay, that's interesting, Tim, but I, I don't think that's it. 
All right, so when you come to the temple, you bring a what? Gift, an offering. So when the nations come to worship the Lord who's enthroned, they're going to bring the what to him? The best. And that's really what's saying is that the treasures are going to come to them. All right, interesting note. So that's the way it's always been. In both instances of the destruction of Jerusalem, either the Babylonian destruction or the Roman destruction, in both instances, the Romans and the Babylonians, when they came in and destroyed the temple, they took all the treasures. All the treasures. In fact, they can trace that when Titus came in and destroyed Jerusalem in AD 70 and took the temple with all of its treasures and stuff, there was a major building boom in the empire in Rome right after that. Financed by what? The gold and everything from the temple. Why? Because the temple was the place where they brought everything. Remember now, Remember, we just saw it here in Isaiah when the Babylonians came and, and uh, Hezekiah is feeling kind of proud or whatever. He shows them everything and the prophet says, what did you show them? Why did you do that? We well, look, here's what you've done. They're going to come and take it. You know, so the reality is, is that that's the concept is that stuff was to be brought to Jerusalem in worship. But the nations took it. Well, here he's saying, when the Messiah comes, they're not going to quit taking from you. They're going to be what? Bringing it back. They're going to be bringing the wealth of the nations to you. Now, here's the joy of salvation. The prophet expresses the feelings of one who has experienced the Lord's blessing. So when we look at verses 10 through 11, we're going to see the joy of salvation here. So let me, let me read that to you. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the earth brings forth his bud, as the garden causes things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord God will cause the righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. So it's talking about the joy of the salvation. There is going to be excitement. So as spring brings forth the flowering bud, the Lord will bring forth praise before the nations. So it's talking about the salvation. They're going to be excited. Now, I don't think we've ever seen anything like that. We will in the end. Because here's what you're going to see is, is you're going to see a people, Israel, who have been oppressed for centuries, thousands of years, right? And that oppression will end when the Messiah comes, they recognize who he is, and they experience the salvation forever. Then that praise to God that all of that will be removed will be a testimony before who? The rest of the nations, okay? Now, Chapter 62, verses 1 to 12, is going to talk about being prepared for the Lord's coming. Preparation for the Lord's coming. So the Lord proclaims that he will not rest for Jerusalem's sake. 
So the first thing you need to recognize is God is not on a hiatus right now. He's not on a vacation. He is still actively working. Why? He's not resting for Jerusalem's sake. He's, everything is moving towards that great point, okay? The Gentiles and their kings will witness the glory of Israel. The fact of the matter is, is people may not believe him now. People may diminish him. People may not care. I think it's interesting. I remember uh, reading years ago when Ronald Reagan was president, um, it was, in the, it was in our national papers that he believed in the second coming of Christ. Now in Canada, which is a completely different place, even though they're next door, they think completely different there, they mocked the reality that the president of the most powerful nation in the world would believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ. They couldn't, they couldn't comprehend that. Well, because first of all, Canada's not a Christian nation. It's a secular nation. And so they were like, really, is that possible? And that this great leader would believe that? Well, yeah, because at that point, 70% of Americans in 1980-something believed in the second coming. I don't know what the statistic is right now. But the fact is, is that the nations mock it. They don't believe it. Well, here the prophet is saying that the Gentiles and their kings will what? Witness the glory of Israel. Now, what's the glory of Israel? The Messiah coming back and what? Establishing his kingdom. They're all going to see it. They're all going to recognize it. They're all going, there's not going to be any laughing it off. They will receive a new name and a place of honor with the Lord. So Israel will receive a new name. Isn't that interesting? When you go over to Revelation chapters 2 and 3, one of the promises there to the churches is that, that we will receive a new name, that he, only he knows, will receive a white stone. It's like a stone of adoption, and on that is a new name. So folks, you got a name you don't even know, okay? He's going to give you a new name, and you're going to be okay with it, okay? You know, you hear some, I don't like my name. You're not, this isn't going to bother you, Okay? You're going to get a new name. Well, Israel's going to get a new name and have a place of honor before the Lord. Israel will no longer be called desolate or barren. That's a derogatory thing to say in their culture is to call a woman desolate or barren. As in marriage, the Lord will rejoice over her as a bridegroom. So, you guys ever, I like going to weddings, don't you? And you watch the couple and the way they are acting with each other and, they, and, and just the joy there and the way they're fawning over each other. He says, the Lord will rejoice over her as a bridegroom. The Lord will set watchmen over Jerusalem till he established it. So it's going to be secure. It's going to be secure. And that's going to be, that's a big thing for them. They need to know that they're secure. You know, we live in un, unstable times right now. Would you agree with that? And, and part of the instability of the times, is it's, that's what bothers us, is unstable, it's unsecure to us. Well, here the Lord is promising Jerusalem, I'm going to set watchmen over you. So the Lord promises that Israel will no longer provide for the, for the other nations. So Israel isn't going to be the source of stuff for other nations anymore. Okay? The source of stuff for other nations. The people are urged to quickly prepare themselves for the coming. So they're to prepare themselves. All right, let's stop for a moment. So this was written 
This was written some, sometime around 700 B.C., okay? 7 to 800, 7 to 600 B.C., all right? So this is when it was written, okay? So we're talking about almost 3,000 years ago. And here, the emphasis is you need to be ready for it to come. Okay, so Jesus told us 2,000 years ago, he's coming back. But we need to be ready. What's your thoughts about that? Like, are you living your life every day ready? I mean, because the promises are there. What are, what are your thoughts? Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay, that's good. And, and you know, the answer to that, uh, Tim, is uh, in Peter. Second Peter, uh, I believe it is chapter 2, where Peter says, uh, well, I'll, I'll read it to you. This is what Peter says. If you got your Bibles, you can go walk over there with me. Walk with your fingers, that is. Okay, so... Oh, excuse me, chapter 3, not 2. 2 is about the false prophet. Uh, oh, verse 4. Uh, oh, let me start at verse 1. Beloved, I write to you this second epistle, both, in both of which I stir up your pure minds as a way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which are spoken by the holy prophets. So we're looking at the words of the holy prophet right here, Isaiah. And of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord Savior, knowing first that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts. Now here's what they say. And saying, where's the promise of his coming? So in the last days, they're going to say, well, so, hey, it's been at least 2,000 years. Okay, let's go on. For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Hey, every day, I mean, look, we get up in the morning, we go to bed, people get born, people die. Where's the promise? That's, that's the point they're making here. Here's what it says. For they willfully forget, Peter writes, that by the word of, the, by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water by which the world that had been existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, don't forget this one thing, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years. And a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some, class, some 
count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. All right, so what's, what's he saying here? So he's saying, okay, you're going to hear this. It's been, where is it? It's like everything's the same. And he says, look, hey, with God, one day is as what? A thousand years. And what? A thousand years is what? One day with the Lord. You know what I'm saying? So you could say, oh, so it's been like two days for Jesus? Maybe. The point is, he's not slack concerning his promise. But what does he say? He's not willing that what? Any should what? Perish. His delay is so that others can come to what? Come to Christ. Come to know him. Because here's the reality. When he comes back, is that it? Folks, when he comes back, is that it? Yeah, that's it. Boom. Curtains, I mean, that's it. That's the judgment. But until then, there's still hope for people, right? Okay? So, I guess what I was asking that question is, I want you to think, don't, we need to live our lives as if he's going to come back, right? Because you don't know if he's going to come back today. He might. Things happen suddenly. Things happen quickly. And you need to live your lives. Because here's the thing. Well, you know, he may not come back today. Yeah, but you don't know that you're going to draw another breath today and you might still meet him, right? I mean, that has hit home to me many times in my life. You're not guaranteed anything as far as how long you're going to be alive. And I've seen them, I've seen, I've been at the funerals for those who were within weeks of birth to those who lived to be 100. The first funeral I ever did was for a guy who was 100 years old. That's not normal. But there's been everything else in between, right? And, and, and even in my family life, you know, I've seen them die at 38 or 41. And, and those, those are young years now to me. I thought they were old then, but they aren't. You have to live your life ready for him to come back. That, that's the point that's being made here. So Isaiah is trying to convey that to us. They're urged to prepare themselves for the coming. So the Lord proclaims that salvation is coming. This is the fact. Salvation is coming. That's the message to Israel. That's the message to you and I. And the people of Israel will be called the redeemed and holy people. So the people of Israel will be called redeemed. And they'll be holy people. Now, Jerusalem will be called, the called, will be called the sought out one and the city not forsaken by God. Now, that's very important to them because when they were destroyed and have had many marauders come through there, that's what people have said, that this city has been forsaken. This city has been rejected by God. But here it's going to be called the sought-out one, the city not forsaken. So the question is asked as to who is coming from Edom in glorious apparel. So there's a question that is here. Let's look at chapter 63. 
Isaiah 63. Look with me at verses 1 to 6. Who is this who comes from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? This one who is glorious in his appearance, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Who is this? Why is, why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone and the peoples and from the peoples no one was with me. I have trodden them in my anger. I have trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments. I have stained all my robes. For the day of vengeance is in my heart. And the year of my redeem has come. I look, but there was no one to help. And I wondered that there was no one to uphold. Therefore, my own arm sought salvation for me. And my own fury it sustained me. I have trodden down the people in my anger and made them drunk in my fury and brought down their strength to the earth. So there's this interaction going on. So there's a question about who's this coming from Edom in, in glorious apparel. And the response is the one who speaks in righteousness and who's mighty to save. Now, let me kind of point. Edom is from the east. So who is this one coming from the east? Okay, now we like to say that's where Jesus is going to be coming from. Coming from the east, the eastern sky is going to crack and he's going to return, all right? Now, the question is, why are his garments crimson? Now, if we were to read that or respond, we would say, well, yeah, it's, they're, they're red with his blood for the salvation of others. That's not what he's going to say here. You might actually be shocked. The response is from one who has punished the enemies of Israel. It's the blood of the enemies of Israel upon his garments. He has crushed them. You know what I'm saying? Like, like in a wine press. Okay? So I, I always thought it would be neat to, to be in an old winery stomping grapes, right? And when you're stomping grapes, guess what? Your, 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 your legs are going to be what? Dyed with what? You're going to be purple, and your garments are going to be purple. Now, if you think about it, if you're in a wine press with a long flowing gown, the bottom of your gown is going to be what? Covered with the grapes. And that's what he's describing here. It's like in a wine press of judgment. My garments are stained with their blood. This isn't his blood. This is their blood in judgment. So the blood of his enemies has stained his garments. That's what he's saying here. So, listen, Jesus is not just your buddy. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Just some fluffy teddy bear to hug onto. Do you understand? He is a righteous, holy God who will bring vengeance upon his enemies. And, and so that's the reality here. That is the coming of the Lord and what's going to happen there. All right, anybody got a question? Kind of hard for us to grasp sometimes, right? Yes, it is. Yeah, they're connected. That, here's the thing. So Isaiah wrote this 700 
Revelation was written sometime around AD 90, okay? There is a connection, even though they're different writers, Revelation written in Greek, Isaiah's written in Hebrew. The fact of the matter, it's, it's a continuing story. It's a continuing, God is presenting to us a continuing message here. And that is judgment is coming. Okay, and think about it. Think about it from the perspective of these Jews who are, who are reading this. Talk about always getting the wrong end of the stick. I mean, talk about things going wrong all the time and being oppressed, being in slavery, being destroyed, killed, maimed. No matter what happens, they're always being crushed. Now, the reason why that's happening is because of their sin, right? Okay? But here they are. They're going through these hardship, hardship upon hardship throughout the centuries. And so when you read a prophet like this that says the Messiah is coming, yes, it's wonderful to read that, oh, you're going to be bountiful, your cities are going to be full again, the lame are going to walk, the, we're going to he healing, the blind are going to see, the prisoners are going to be set free and follow that. And that's all wonderful, but yet there's still the hurt. Now, I think we can understand that, right? So what do you mean, George? All right, so do we forget the people who hurt us? Do we really forget them? Yeah, it's always there. We don't forget them. Why? We, we remember the people who hurt us. And, and yet we're, but we're told not to take vengeance, right? We're told to trust God, that he will take care of it, right? And, 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 and so the reality is, is, so he's bringing a message. I'm going to be coming. There's going to be joy. You're going to be, you're going to be excited about this. It's going to be, but I'm going to tell you this as well. I'm coming in vengeance too. I'm coming in vengeance. So it's interesting to me, so you mentioned Revelation. So if you go over to Revelation, one of the oppressed churches there that is going through it is told that your enemies will come down and bow before you and acknowledge you, that you were mine. Now why would he have to say that? Because think about Christians, you know, I, I really couldn't care less about how much we're trying to be accepted by the world in our culture today. It isn't going to happen. Why? Because Christianity isn't accepted around the world by peoples. And they're not going to. Unsafe people aren't going to accept God, right? Let alone his people. So we need to understand that. We need to grasp that. So one day, he's saying in his vengeance those people are going to acknowledge that you were mine. Wow. That's, that, do you understand what I'm saying? That settles your sense of, will it ever be made right? 
will so-and-so ever pay for what he did? Did did you understand what I'm saying? So for the Jews who are going through this, hearing that he's coming and that he's coming from the east and his garments are, are, are bloodied, not from the blood of salvation, but with the blood of judgment, meaning he has brought judgment against the nations, that kind of helps you to understand, right now, let it go. Because there will be a day of reckoning, right? And in that day of reckoning, there isn't going to be any worming out of it. Do, do, do you understand that? That's where our trust needs to be, okay? This should be an encouragement to you. Do you understand what I'm saying? This should be an encouragement to you because it bothers us. Doesn't it bother us to see people who are oppressed or to feel oppression yourself? Doesn't it bother us to have people do you wrong or to watch people being done wrong and there's nothing you can do about it and you wonder, will there ever be anybody to take care of somebody being done wrong? then what you do then is is you say, yeah, but Lord, one day you, and that's where my trust is. One day you will set it right and there won't be any mocking. There won't be any worming out of it. There won't be any blame shifting. Paul refers to it, okay? Paul refers to that great white throne judgment as the day of terror. Really? Now, you might have experienced that in your life. You remember, I remember as a kid getting in trouble. I remember getting in trouble and my mom saying to me, wait till your dad gets home. Go to your room. Go to my room. And, and dad would come home and a door would close and... <sighs> You know, there's the terror, you know, and you hear him walking down the hall because he's coming to your room. Ah! I think I understand what he means by the day of terror, right? Because we've got to answer to the Lord. But not just us. The world has to answer to the Lord. Did you understand? That is... What, what you know that I think that's that's a message that needed to be conveyed to them. That's a message that needs to be conveyed to us.